everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of Whiskey Neat, Spirited Conversations with Interesting People. I'm your host, Christopher Hart. And today is our second off-site episode. Uh, last week we did one with Bryn Elliott at Four Roses, and this week we're with Chris Morris and Todd Group from the Houston Bourbon Society. Chris has spent his life within the actual industry, and we... Uh, had a recent argument on social media that went a bit misunderstood. There's a lot of great people in this industry that I've worked with for the last five years, and I wanted to provide better context and a better conversation over the subject here, and there's nothing better than doing it over a cigar at Stogie's in Houston. Stogie's located off Westheimer. They've got another location in Sugarland, but we were smoking the cigars from the Houston Whiskey Social. We did a collaboration with Room 101 Cigars. There's a few packs left. They've been sitting in the humidor for the last couple of months, and they, they were a perfect addition to today's episode. So um, basically the discussion is about social media and the industry's impact um, on the industry's impact. The impact on the industry. Let's try that again. Social media on, the, on its impact on the industry. You get what I'm trying to say. Uh, for years, there have been some brands and some distributors who have seen the benefit of social media groups like Houston Bourbon Society, but also the Bourbon Hounds of Houston. There's a, a, a couple of groups in Beaumont. There's groups nationally all over the place, one in Cincinnati. There's been a massive impact on the industry on not just the bottom shelf stuff, on real you know, limited time offerings, single barrel programs, just doing, you know, not just one-offs. That's the thing I really want to outline in this episode. So uh, Chris had made some comment about menu placements. Now, for those who aren't familiar, which we'll cover in the episode, but a menu placement is simply uh, the, the old adage is that brands are built on premise. The way a brand can move through a lot of product is by getting a cocktail on an actual menu at an account and at a bar and restaurant. And my complaint was that I hate that some brands only focus on that and not social media. This isn't about Chris. It's not about me. It's not about my ego. It's not about my group. It's about all groups. There have been groups that have directly affected and evolved uh, impacted some stores, local stores, mom and pop stores who never really, they were, they were just kind of, you know, there's certain levels of types of accounts, uh, have really, I feel like, have made an impact and raised the bar. And I am actually one of the few people who, who can speak on this because I have direct information on case movements, numbers, details. And the industry has largely relied on services like Wide Drinks to track how well something is being moved through a bar if it's being accurately reported. Sometimes it's not accurately reported and it drives you nuts a little bit trying to figure out if your brand's actually making an impact. The downside for social media is it's not trackable. It's not publicly trackable. I can give you whatever numbers I want, but they could be made up. Who knows? So um, this is a rehashing of that argument, the discussion with Chris and Todd, and we thought we would just simply talk about the impact social media has had. And hopefully, for those of you working in the industry that have written off some groups, I'm hoping that you'll see this in a different way because my intention is not to to come off as, as boasting or braggardly, but I've worked in sales my whole life, and I see something that some people don't see while others do. There are other literally equals, right? So if you've got sales reps at this distributing company or sales reps at this distributing company, these sales reps see it, these reps don't. Where's the disconnect? Don't take my word for it. Take smaller distribution's word for it or take supplier's word for it. There are some, some brands that have openly focused on social media. 
for a reason. So ignore what I'm saying as if it's coming from me and take it as if it's coming from other people of your like experience and your information. That's all I'm hoping for. I'm, I'm pleading for a middle ground here. That's all, that's all I'm trying to do. So this week's show, as always, is sponsored by Trilado Distill Artists and Spirits, leader in premium artisan products like Bunahaben, Deanston, Lecheg, Tobermory, Baines, Black Bottle, and Scottish Leader. You can pick up the entire line at your local liquor store, or if you are a retailer, reach out to your United Wine and Spirits rep. I think that pretty much covers all of our bases. Rate and review the show on iTunes, Google Play, the whole nine yards. Give us some feedback. I would love some feedback on this week's episode. I really, really love Chris, although he can be a real pain in my ass at times. You can say ass on the radio, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, we're good. Um, but but we're all in this together. We really are. I, I want to help in as, as much as I can as someone who can connect the two. I want to connect the consumer with really cool things that we can do on big scales. I want to bring cool stuff to Houston at the same time. I want to make the suppliers happy so that they are willing to come and say, hey, let's do this together. Let's work on things together. That's all this is. When I see a disconnect, it, it, it hurts my heart, as, as no pun intended. Um, I think that pretty much covers it. Without further ado, Chris Morris and oh, I didn't mention Todd. Todd, I love Todd. Todd's our, Todd's done a lot with the Houston Bourbon Society. He's done a lot with our label design. He's also one of the most reasonable, down-to-earth, level-headed people, and I thought could provide some outsider perspective to kind of keep us from biting each other's heads off. So, without further ado, Chris Morris and Todd Groove from the Houston Bourbon Society. Cheers. Chris isn't just fragile, he's also very argumentative. He just likes to be... He likes <laughs> there's a, to jump there's a word everything. for that in debate, and I, I always forget it because it's something that people love to use where you... A-hole? You, no, you give someone, you, you give someone a, a title, a name tag for something that even if it's not true, by denying it, it makes the title true. Mm-hmm. You say you're argumentative. You say no, I'm not. You say, see, I got gotcha. you. <laughs> yeah. It's a it's a way to diminish someone's point. Like when you say, get off your soapbox, or you're being fragile, or you know, there's 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 emotional is also good. By the way, I dig the the look. Oh, thanks, man. New mustache. Oh yeah, that's right. You haven't you haven't seen me since it's been a minute. Up a touch. But you look cleaned up, uh, and we're good friends. Despite what people may not notice online, is we're actually uh, I have a lot of respect for you, and I would consider us friends. Yeah. I hope I would hope you feel the same. That was definitely one message I got after it was someone was like, "I thought you and Chris were good friends." I'm like, hey, "We are good friends," but I get that a lot too uh, when you and I argue in HBS. <laughs> uh, someone will be like, uh, "What's his deal?" I'm like, "Nah, he's a good guy. His approach can be rough, but..." Listen, I've approached things wrong many times, and that's actually what today's about. So for those listening at home, um, something has come up recently, and, and Zachary Cherbach made the recommendation that we should do an episode about it, and I said, you bet your damn ass we should. So today we've got back Todd Groob. Todd Groob's a good friend of mine who also helps run HBS. The last time you saw him, he was just a, a faithful member. Today he's actually sporting our merchandise, HBS. Chris Chris Morris has also been around a long time. He's been instrumental and very helpful in a lot of the things that I've done with the Whiskey Social, and he has made a name for himself in Houston. Uh, he's made a few names for himself in Houston, but the good <laughs> names have to do with his uh, cocktail brilliance, his expertise, uh, the history behind his uh, his passion. So, 
now, from what I gathered, you're open. You're in the process of, of working on something big right now, huh? Yeah, yeah. We're uh, putting the finishing touches on Mad Houston, which is a new concept from the uh, the folks behind BCN. So taking that same Spanish culture and love for, for for those who don't know BCN. So BCN is our sister. Do what you restaurant. do best and talk, but non, talk down to the audience. <laughs> <laughs> As you can tell, I make their lives hard on a daily basis. Uh, no, so BCN is a wonderful fine dining Spanish restaurant in Montrose, right there, right at Montrose in Richmond. You know, white tablecloth, classic, and kind of ignoring everything that people know about Spanish cuisine, because when we think about it, we think tapas and paellas. And so the two things we don't serve at BCN are tapas and paellas, and focusing on more more country recipes and classic fine dining service. And then with MAD, which is our new concept in the River Oaks district, we're focusing on tapas and paellas with a, with a more modern touch and kind of, again, just deep diving into the, like the Spanish nightlife. Right, and you've been instrumental in, in the openings and closings of many bars and restaurants throughout Houston. Mostly openings. I generally leave before they close. I, I have not personally been responsible for any closings. Thank you very much. Well, I'm sorry. What I mean is, is you know, when I, I think when I first met you, you were... Uh, was it Hunky Dory? You were over there for a bit? Yeah, was I was, bar at, manager I was there. at Hunky Dory. That would have been... Three years ago? Yeah. yeah. Well, let's see. I was in Scotland at the time at my... On my honeymoon, so yeah, that would have been about 2016. So yeah, about three years. Speaking of of honeymoon, I'd love to get your wife in here too. She's she is uh, doing quite a bit for herself. Yeah, I will tell you right off the bat, which I hope this doesn't come off as argumentative, but uh, I don't necessarily agree with the the current thought that the thing that she proposed I, I in that i think our so she's working on something now currently uh she's working on an article about how our drinking culture has become let's get drunk and part and shots and sure and, and i think it's at least in houston i think it's the opposite i think we're moving towards a more civilized now we still have well, our I, I, th- I think as a general drinking culture we are getting more educated but when i was talking with her about it and getting some of her viewpoints um, it was also really putting, you know, a target around like these giant drinking holidays that we don't respect as holidays. We view them as a reason to drink. Oh, things that's like a, that's a, actually things great like, You know, White Linen Night, Cinco de Mayo, St. Patrick's Day. We're like, we don't think historically what they are. We think we're going to go out and drink seventy-five margaritas and black out and hopefully get in an Uber and be safe and get home. Which that, obviously doesn't always happen. Correct. Right? That I actually agree with because one of the, the things that we try to combat at the Whiskey Social is that it's not considered a booze fest, at least by industry standards. And you're, you're going to have people who overindulge, uh, but you do your best to curb that. You do your best to, to mitigate that the best way you can. And then if you do spot somebody, you cut them off or, you know, we offered to send a few people home. Oh, yeah. This the, year. the social has always been fantastic about that and always, always been vigilant with it. But it's, it's not saying that. As a general culture, you know, oh, I mean, actually it is. Like, from last year alone, you know, we've grown, we're growing like 7% year over year in American adults who are drinking to excess. Well, and see, and I was so, actually like, looking up. By like 2020, we're on track that like 60% of American adults will, you know, drink to excess at, at certain points. Not saying that we do it every night. Sure. You know, we're not, you know, England in the 1720s. Fair enough. Or, or Ireland for years, because Ireland went through that thing where they were trying real hard to combat uh, drinking and driving, especially on yeah. those narrow roads. And in Ireland, the drinking culture is a bit more like what you'd imagine Conor McGregor to be at times. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I think our our love affair with alcohol has not been 
a constructive one for many years in the U.S. Um, but I do, I do feel like we're moving towards a, a more, you know. I, I think it's hard to see from our perspective because we're in these, we're in a different world, right? We're not out in the binge drinking vodka and tonic world. Um, sure. So, so we're not seeing. I mean, what we see is organized events with people that are responsible, sure. and with rules, and it's, um, but, it's been a few years since I've been behind a bar. So yeah, I, and, I get and discussion it. with you know six thousand people that are also passionate about the yeah. same things that, that we are. Sure. But but I wonder how much the the sales, which I I think that we're going to get into, like the the boom, the the bourbon boom, and the overall you know spirit sales has. Um, cause more bars to open or more events like that because they know that people like to go out and drink. I mean, I'm, so where, where, why is there a, a rise is my question. Well, I would, I would, I'm willing to bet, and I have no evidence for this whatsoever, but I'm willing to bet that with the decline in vodka sales and certain, you know, uh, party-type, known party-type drinks and the rise of barrel-aged spirits and the, the, the passion for the, this side of the of, of the hobby I, I, w- I would be willing to bet that there's been a decrease in drunk driving and and but again i have nothing to, to base it off of i just yeah. know that when you're when you're sipping and you're enjoying i mean i brought bottles today we haven't even started i haven't started drinking yet but i think you're moving away from the recklessness of vodka shots and jaeger bombs and you guys remember vegas bombs you remember red yeah. bull and vodka like that oh yeah that was but that for me that it was in barbados i did a jaeger grenade I don't know what that is. That's where you do a Jaeger bomb and you chase it with a shot of vodka. Oh, God. Sounds great. I don't it recommend sounds, it. It sounds horrible. On our honeymoon in 2012, we we went and did double shots of uh, Jose Cuervo gold. Uh, that's the first time I'd had and the last time I'd had Jose Cuervo in quite some time. Mm-hmm. So uh, it, it's something you do in special occasions, like you mentioned. And in that case, I actually think the article idea is great. Yeah. I think we should talk about the way that we treat these holidays as as our excuse to go all out yeah that, that that's that's what it's focusing on it's not not saying that we're you know on the verge of societal decline because we're we're drinking too much but and also kind of focusing obviously you know she's married to a bartender so focusing on the impact that that has on the people behind the bar and when people do drink to excess and you know certain people that get a little rude you know, I know one one person. Or handsy. Yeah, or handsy. Like one person we've talked to, and I was there that day. I remember she cut off a, a group of gentlemen, and they got really loud in the dining room. And she was like, hey, like, you know, why don't we just step outside, continue this conversation, like kind of away from everybody. And next thing you know, you had, you know, two dudes that had this, you know, five foot three female backed into a corner. And, you know, we're pretty imposing on the situation. And obviously that's not okay. It's not okay at all. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, you deserve, in my opinion, I think anytime, because even when you're fighting with somebody, assault doesn't mean you have to lay hands on somebody, right? If you, if someone feels like you're about to hurt them, you put them in a state of fear, that's assault. Yep. And I think that, uh, you corner a five foot three, you know, especially the women in this industry who are at risk more than anybody. Of course. Uh, from both coworkers and guests. So, anyways, uh, all things considered, I'm excited to see. I've enjoyed several things your wife has written. I'm excited to see her find this passion. Um, I've always had a lot of respect for Samantha, so I don't think she cares as, as equally for me. But I, I really enjoy she her. She likes you well enough. <laughs> That's a great way of saying that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think her relationship with you is much like uh, yours with me, which is everybody likes my wife more than they like me, and I think pretty much the same is true for you. Um. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, likes my wife more. Yeah, than, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, my, great. my wife is is hard not to enjoy. She's she's really sweet, um, and she can be absolutely hilarious. So <laughs> Chris, who who kills the bottle on his own. Without, I, oh, I thought that's know. what was in y'all's glass. Uh, what are y'all drinking? We were drinking that. The, the yeah, My yeah. apologies. Sponsors of the show. Uh, well, I killed the the brandy without the Armagnac without you guys. Sorry. My apologies. <laughs> Well, so you're here for a reason, and we're actually here in the wonderful Stogie's Lounge. This is our second episode shot on-site, out of studio. Um, can you hear me? Uh, let me get situated here. Our second episode on-site, and uh, we're here at Stogie's enjoying our Whiskey Social Cigar. Uh, these have had a little bit of time to sit in the humidor here, and I've I've always... great. They burn great. The taste is great. I've enjoyed them. And Stogie says... A few dozen packs left, 10 packs. Uh, these were a partnership we did with Room 101 Cigars, and uh, they've, they've just been, uh, I've, I've enjoyed many of them. So um, you're here today specifically so that we can fight in person. Yeah. Or at least have a civil discussion. So We're going to have a, a spirited conversation. A spirited conversation with, with uh, annoying and arrogant people. Uh, our new tagline this yeah, episode. I don't think we've ever argued. Come on, man. Todd of... is not arrogant. Like, <laughs> show well, some I, respect. I figured Todd could, could provide, Todd could come today and provide some perspective. Um, not knowing about this argument at all, and and yeah. and maybe gauging a little bit, of, uh, you know, outsiders. Do you have a background in mediation in case this gets real serious? <laughs> I have a psychology degree. There you go. Yeah, no, so and he works at a, at a law firm, so he's really good at playing <laughs> devil's advocate. Here. Hey, there you go. <laughs> so this is the story. Yeah. Uh, you posted on your page uh, a couple nights ago that, uh, which was a very lighthearted post, and it got. And I'll admit, I kind of inadvertently took it, made it about what your, not your point. Your point was simply that, uh, so in the industry, uh, when you are a, a, a brand rep trying to make a name for your brand, trying to build a brand, the best way to do that historically has always been to get on a menu, a menu placement in a bar, right? The idea that if you're on a featured cocktail, that bar is going to sell a lot more of that cocktail. They're going to burn through a few cases a month of said product, uh, ideally more. And it's continual growth. It's continual burning through cases. And what has happened in recent past, and for not recent past, for years and years and years, the goal for a lot of some big brands that have a lot of great marketing budgets, which is completely illegal, but it, it happens, you know, no, nowhere specific, it just in general it happens, they'll, they'll pay for a placement. You go to a bar, you say, I want to, and feel free to interrupt me if I get any of this wrong, uh, or to add con more context sure. to it. But if if I've got a brand of a certain, you know, and, and for cocktails, you want to try to keep your that brand, like let's just say Jim Beam White Label. I'm not saying Beam does this, but the $20 bottles of bourbon, the, the, the $30 bottles of bourbon, 30 is probably the, the highest you want to go, is a great example is Fistful of Bourbon, right? So Fistful of Bourbon, when that came out, it was originally looking at 28 bucks a bottle. But the feedback it got from the industry was um, that's too high for me to put it in a cocktail and keep that cocktail cost low. And so it, when it debuted, it debuted at $24 a bottle. And so that, that's, that's the way that that's gone. And sometimes some brands will pay thousands of dollars to get their, their featured you know, bourbon or whatever on a cocktail uh, menu at a popular bar. And 
even though it's you know it's quiet under the table. That is the way to. Now a lot of people don't do that, right? So Chris's post the other day was him basically saying, uh, "I see all my friends going through, and he's building out this menu for this place." And yeah, I mean, I think you can ask pretty much anybody who's ever worked for a brand like. If one of the first words out of your your mouth involves money, that's a really great way to get like thrown out of a meeting really really quick with me. Like, you know, there are other ways for brands to support things. I mean, a lot of times, like you know, for every twelve bottles you sell, they come in and buy a bottle, something like that, and it just kind of helps regulate our costs because the margins in bars and restaurants, particularly restaurants, is extremely low. So being on top of financials is really really important. So anything that we can do to just kind of help those numbers ever so slightly always helps but as far as like direct pay to placement like a it's completely illegal it's also a bit moral issue for you yeah you'd you'd rather put together a good menu than yeah absolutely you know i've always been of the opinion and i think i've told everybody that i'm close with that works in brands like if you can't run a profitable program at what the bottles actually cost, then you're not very good at running a program. Like you need to reevaluate some things. Now, if you get the chance to work with some people that you already enjoy their product, you know, and you know, you can maybe use one gin over another or another bourbon over another based on personal relationships. That's literally what these people are paid to do is to give a face to the brand and build these relationships. So, so, and that's exactly what, what the conversation was about. Your, your post basically said, as I'm, I'm putting together, this menu um i see all my i'm thinking of all my friends i'm keeping in mind my friends who are in this industry that make good products and you want to put those products as placements on the menu as a way at all it helps them out it makes you know it's it's a it's a way of ethically deciding without any kind of implication of right and this particular example for a little bit of, of context um the the menu that we're putting together as it stands currently has nine different gins across it so as i'm looking through the brands that we're using just happens to be you know most of the people that i'm friends with that represent gin brands because when you have that many options it's really easy to to find a place for most of those things it's a little more competitive with like your one well bourbon or from many restaurants like your one well gin your well rum is you know usually what these people are focused on now i saw your post and and i'm going to use this word even though it's a a bit beat to death and and carries with it a lot of negativeness but i was a bit inadvertently triggered but not triggered as offended, but just in the sense that I had some thoughts I wanted to share. And, of course, coming from my perspective as, a, as an admin of a social media platform mm-hmm. and the impact that I've seen it, my argument was simply that, and I think my, my comment simply said, I never quite understood... Uh, why that was such the main focus of so many brands? It's a bit archaic, is the word I use, which yep. which can be a bit offensive. But it was not an like when you say someone is ignorant of something, it carries with it a negative connotation. You're, and but, you're talking archaic to to want to get there on the menu to into yeah, a cocktail, meaning that it's it's the in everyone's mind. And in fact, I've said this on this podcast when I had Elise Blackman on with uh, McAllen. The saying in the industry is that a brand is built on premise. That is where you build a brand. That is where you make the biggest impact, da 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 da, sure. et cetera, et cetera. And archaic meaning simply that it's it's old, it's been going on for years, and that's where it usually stops. Now you do tasting events, but it's hard to get an ROI, and that's the biggest, I think, the biggest hindrance across this entire discussion is the only way to track and actually get tangible evidence of an impact is through on-premise. Well, I, I think the, the big point of discussion was just the connotation of the word archaic. Like, you used it as kind of like its, it's book definition, like old school, 
old-fashioned, but I think the, the connotation of it is also outdated. And I think that's what kind of upset people that were that were in the industry with it. Sure. You know, like, just two years ago, we, you know, repealed the Zion curtain in Utah. That was archaic. For, sure. the, for those of you who don't know, in the state of Utah, for until 2017, if you ordered a drink in a restaurant, it was made behind a curtain. Like, you could not see somebody make your alcoholic beverage for you. That's silly. That's archaic. Sure. You know, we can't buy liquor on Sundays. But that's that, archaic. That's archaic. But with that dot 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 archaic slash stupid yes right it's it's like it's almost laughably offensive i i simply meant that it drives me nuts i've worked uh behind the bar i've worked my my mother owned and ran a bar for years and continued to run a bar even after she stopped owning a bar and uh and now that this whole thing is, is developed with social media, my perspective has been that of the consumer, someone who runs a social media platform, and from some brands, right? Now, your big brands, the brands that have been doing this, the biggest brands, right? Your Brown Foreman, your, um, you know, uh, uh, let me be more specific, your Jim Beam or your Maker's Mark, those brands are so big and so iconic and have figured out this pattern that definitely works that my opinion definitely seemed by some as me just trying to blow my horn or blow the horn of HPS. And that's not what I wanted to do. I wanted to simply point out that it, it drives me nuts to have this perspective that very few people in the industry have. And uh, not as I'm better than you, but just simply saying, hey, if you've never worked in a bar, you discussing with me on margins. Like I always... If you've never done a, a job and then you're trying to have a conversation about it, it's like trying to have a discussion over vaccines with someone who's who Google's things and not ever sure. worked in the medical industry. So, uh, and I wanted to clarify again: this is not a Chris did this or that, but but when I see the impact that social media has, and I've had specifically brands tell me the impact it's had. Suppliers tell me. Barrel has seen a 400% growth in the past 12 months in the state of Texas, the entire state of Texas. Sure. And my perspective is, and I wanted to have this discussion on it. So if you are not the $20 bourbon, right? Now, a peek behind the curtain as to how margins work with, with bottles. Like, if you want to have a $70 price tag shelf item, it's usually got to make it to the distributor. Well, I don't want to give that away. But it's, it's significantly less. Right? So the margins you make for brands has always been about, let's sell 10 million white, Jim Beam White Label, right? Yeah. And we'll make it in, in pennies. We're not going to make it in major dollars. But for big brands who can't be on menu placements that are $60 bottles, $45 bottles, even in sometimes, you know, $35 to $40 bottles that aren't going to be put in a cocktail. If you can do, if a bar can do 200 cases of, of, a, of a $20 bottle in a year, is 200 out of reach? I mean, you mentioned in your example a case and a half a month for the full year. Yeah, and that's just, that's being, you know, that's 18 bottles a month, so about... Four, four and a half bottles a week, which, you know, on a reasonably well-selling cocktail at a mid-volume establishment is reasonable. Now, it can obviously go much, much higher than that. Like, you look at a high-volume nightclub that has Tito's on the menu and sure. some fruity drink, and they're going to blow through two cases a, a week. Sure. I know I know some uh, college station liquor stores see about 90 cases a week oh, yeah. in movement of Tito's. So, but, again... We're not, we're not talking about vodka here. And I think that's where we kind of got lost in our conversation is I was tr simply trying to say 
because I see it. I have these. I'll have a conversation with a small distributor who can't stop talking about the impact that they see statewide. We didn't want our Boone County barrel, and we had stores begging for it in Dallas and in Austin. Mm-hmm. And to the point that, that that distributor had to literally decide who was going to, yeah. you know, who's, who's the best customer who can have this. And that was even at a price point lower. $175 than, than a bottle. We saw it go, actually go for in the end. Yeah, so, well, on secondary, but we're not having the secondary discussion. No, no, no. I mean, I thought we had discussed it was around 120 125 and then when the other barrel came out, it was 175 and that blew me away that it was that much higher. Yeah, I mean, if, if a brand can move, I guess in my mind, we're talking about profitability for a brand and long-term growth, right? So if you can have do one barrel one year, the next year the group does two barrels or three barrels, and because of the impact of those barrels, stores from all over the city do their own barrels. Mm-hmm. You're talking about... And that's, that's specifically, I think you're talking about barrel. And Copper and Kings. Barrel bourbon. I'm talking about Copper and Kings. Yeah. I'm talking which Copper yeah. and Kings with R&DC, uh, barrels with favorite. Well, like, I, I, I mean, I think Copper and Kings is a great example of kind of my main point, which is we influence different. We influence a different portions of the portfolio, and as we've talked about, like, we you know do influence them in in different ways, which in successful business is, is great. Like someone like me. Like a Phoenix barrel, I'm not really interested in. Like, it's, sure. it's too expensive for for me to co- make a cocktail with. If I put it on, it's going to be a twenty five dollar cocktail. I'm sure. going to sell five of them a week, and sure. I'm not going to do a whole lot. It's going to be prestige, and people will see it. They'll see the name, which is very important in in some of these contexts, particularly for for small brands. Um, something like that. Like, I'll put it on my back bar, and it's a great way for somebody to come in and taste it to see if they want to go out and buy it. But where someone like me puts in growth is something like their $25 American brandy or the Copper and King's absinthe. You know, things like that are where we influence, Sure. you know, much more because... Much more. And I'm, I'm, it, I mean, I'm giving you that. Yeah, 100%. Course. The impact that you have, the impact that even you have as just a bartender is monumental with certain spirits. And and it, my approach was a bit too vague at first, and I'll admit that in your post. It yeah. was it seemed to make a blanket statement, but really I was being specific to what everyone already ended up knowing that I was referring to bourbon groups. People sometimes, unfortunately, locked on to just the fact that I'm talking about HBS, but I'm not. The Bourbon Hounds of Houston, 700-plus members. What Jay does, the number of stores who reach out to text Jay Friedman, Jay Evans Tabor, uh, or uh, down in Beaumont, right? I get texts from Mike uh, at Longhorn Liquor or Bo at Ryan's or just the number of people within these social media only groups who get texts from store owners, right? Think about them. Oh, for sure. Not as them as individuals being buyers, but the impact they have on actual buyers. I mean, don't don't forget, you are an HPS member. Right. You're part of that group. You're part of the impact that the group has. That's all I was trying to say was that all groups on social media and, and I said down with Brent Elliott yesterday and he completely agreed with me. Yeah, it's not even an argument if HBS has had an effect on brands like Barrel and Copper and Kings in Houston and the surrounding areas. Uh, I mean, I just look as a drinker looking back um, a couple years I mean, I, was, I would see the Barrel stuff and I was interested in it and I might have bought one to try it, but just to see the amount of bottles that have been sold uh, the last year in Barrel and all the different stores that have released Barrels, it's 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 amazing how how many of them have sold and sold out pretty quickly. Sure, and, and that that was my whole thing is I th- I think that 
I think that sometimes the way I might come off is a bit uh, divisive unintentionally. I've I've been nothing but supportive of all these brands, of all the brands, even ones that may have disagreed with this argument. I'm supportive of the distribution tier. I'm frustrated with simply the lack of uh, effort that is is ongoing unnoticed because I think that the group as a whole if you thought of these groups not just HBS the Southeast Texas Bourbon Society the DFW group there's a couple of groups in the woodlands there's a couple of groups in, in uh, well, all over town I also, I also think there's a lot of overlap between those groups so sure. it's not you know a, like that's why I've, I pretty much parsed down my page to where I'm pretty much only in HBS because sure. every notifi- notification I got of somebody posted in HBS I then saw they posted mm-hmm. in Hound you gotta turn those off in this group and I this turned group. off all the notifications so long ago yeah, I, just, I just deleted all the groups because they were all redundant information for me sure. like I'm not I'm not personally in it like you know i don't buy a a bunch of group picks so i don't need to see every single pick that's coming out i need one source of information and for me like hbs was the biggest you know i had the the most encompassing yeah and i say that i had the best relationships with like you and matt so like that's the one that i wound up you know choosing and that's my my bourbon you know group of you know poison of choice you know other people like they want 10 or 12 of them and that's awesome that they're really into the the hobby and really into spirits like that well i've always and i know we've got to wrap up for this break but uh i've always been a huge supporter of all these groups coming up I mean I've inter- there's been a few other groups that have reached out for artwork I've connected Todd with uh, Todd does amazing artwork for us and even if HBS does one pick those other groups also want to do not necessarily the same pick right then and there but they will end up doing a similar pick and even if it didn't start HBS was doing picks because the other people saw you know cause that was the question I remember people saying can we start doing picks well sure it's like right now if 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 Elijah Craig if beautiful amazing awesome Carrie would give me five barrels of Elijah Craig I could I talked uh, two bars and it taking it i mean their cost would be like well we don't have to say that either but the the cost would be enough they could incorporate it in their well and they could burn through a barrel and if anything they didn't want we could take mm-hmm. and five barrels at 160 180 bottles per barrel and we can do that in one go and I, and my argument was simply that it's not just one-offs, which you made that huge stance that it's only one-offs when it's not just one-offs. Uh, two years ago, we did a push for Wild Turkey 101 because Wade made some comment about it, and we went through 60 cases for the group in one go. 60 cases of standard shelf items. It's, it's, it's probably a good segue into the larger conversation because it's just the power of social media, the power of the artwork, the, you know, the power of anybody, regardless of the group that you're in, whether it's HBS and another group. It's funny how easy how easily humans are influenced if it could be one person who posts a picture and says i drank this and i didn't like it and everyone else is jumping thank you i was going to buy that and i, I appreciate your your single opinion <laughs> so yeah going back to the conversation over the impact the groups have my argument was simply boil down i think the groups social media even specific groups could be treated like accounts like like on-premise accounts in terms of volume over specific uh, audiences, right? So for a bar, you want to move a ton of one liter Citadel gins. That's definitely the place for it. It's gonna you're gonna blow it out of the water. Any gin company, right? When it comes to the high end stuff, and let's be honest, this, a lot of the stuff that we're selling to the right audience is a premium product in terms of cost yeah. and in terms of profitability. I know 
what some of the profit margins are on some of these stuff that's going to groups. And it is a huge influx of cash. So even if a single group does one barrel, if it leads to a store going, again, to beat barrel to death, uh, we did a barrel through Bow. Uh, sold in a day, which it doesn't have to sell in a day. There's lots of stuff that doesn't mm-hmm. sell in a day. Uh, Bo did uh, ended up buying 30 cases of, of shelf item rye because of how great, which is a barrel more than a barrel's worth. Mm-hmm. Then did his own barrel, barrel number two, Joe, Joe's number two, and now has another one that's on its way. And uh, for that store, that single store, uh, and if you talk to Bo, you ever go into Bo uh, Ryan's Liquor up in the north? Mm-hmm. Bo's store is in such a perfect spot for members. And when you walk through, his shelves look like the feed in HBS. And he said, "I buy based off what I see in the group." So oh, yeah. the, the impact these groups have on stores. And let's keep in mind: typically, what happens is distributors will pay uh, salesmen to try to convince these stores to do barrels. These a lot of these stores told them no for years. Rice Liquor, mm-hmm. The Blind Pig. A lot of these stores were not because doing there was a time where you see these. I, I've, there are stores, you know, a couple of years ago that I would see picks that sat there forever, for a long time, and and may have never years and years out. and years. Yeah. Like I, I think, you know, talking again, kind of on, like you know, I think Elijah Craig's a good example because that is in a price point where I can put that in a cocktail. Um, is that being picked up? A little bit. <laughs> um. But, like, you're talking five barrels, and I think if you went to Heaven Hill and were like, you can sell these five barrels, you know, in Houston and surrounding areas in bars and restaurants, or you can have the small batch on the menu at Morton's across the country in 100 units, you know, obviously, the, okay, obviously like, the correct answer should be you should do both. But there are a lot of brands and a lot of suppliers that kind of have to make that choice. Like, they're limited by manpower, by money. I totally get by, that. you know, allocation Again, but we're not talking about... A franchise restaurant. I'm not saying these groups are better, but I'm saying if a bar, I know that a lot of these brands want to get their stuff in new places. Growth, right? So if you've got a bar, and I'll give you a great example, Republic House in Pasadena. That's the only good bar in Pasadena. I can't think of another good bar short of a a restaurant, uh, you know, a full-blown Olive Garden or something. But the only bar worth going to with craft beer and, and a good selection of, of decent stuff, thanks to Andrew Moore and, and his great efforts. Uh, Andrew tried for years to talk them into doing a barrel. And he, he just like, I don't think we can move at all. I'm nervous about it. I, I walk in. I have a discussion with him over a glass of nice guy, Eddie. And we're going we're gonna, to, if Carrie will, if they've got room for it, she's talked to them before, and she couldn't get them to take it's, one. Is part of the barrel going to be retail so only as much as he is nervous about okay so i'm giving him that out yeah because and that's that, exactly that's almost what, a guaranteed sale that's what hbc did houston yeah. bourbon Consortium. i love morgan but they came on this podcast openly said they dumped what they had at the end of the year because at the end of the year distributors have to pay taxes on what's sitting mm-hmm. in the warehouse they you get to unload offload this stuff to the public and again in a bar, you take a picture of a bottle, or you you know you pour of a bottle. That that bottle will last 17 pours, an ounce and a half pours, um, to 17 guests theoretically. You post a picture in HBS, everyone sees it. They want to know if they should buy it. They're looking for questions. Look at what happened with Buck Eight. Mm-hmm. Buck Eight was nothing. <laughs> it was nothing. I would and like, he I'd even, like to know how their sales increased. I, I talked to the, the guy at TDSA, uh-huh. and he said uh, Houston's historically been one of the worst markets for them. Mm-hmm. Not anymore. Mm. 
Did you ask him what was? Did you get feedback? No. On the growth? No. Yeah. Well, I can tell you firsthand that we had a bunch of stores that are in the group that buy based off what they see mm-hmm. that had three and four facings of it on their shelf. <laughs> and for those who don't know, if, when you're looking at a liquor store and you've got, let's say you've got, you know, Wild Turkey, Russell's Reserve, Russell's Reserve Rye, and it's got those three bottles sitting next to each other on the shelf, that's a facing, three facings. So it, you want that billboard effect. And for a single skew to have four facings is absurd. But that impact is there, even though that impact was a complete farce, right? We're not, it's, it was a joke that oh, went I, too far. I, it, it went real too far. I remember a friend of mine telling me one night, Oh, have you heard of this bug A stuff? I'm like, Yeah, like it's a you know, joke from HPS. He's like, It's it, you know, like it, stores are like selling out, it's like a thousand dollars a bottle on secondary. I'm like, No, it's no, not. It's not. <laughs> No, it's not. <laughs> but but you know, like another a popular brand that is actually good stuff, the New Four Roses um, Small Batch Select, it's good stuff. And I'm sure it would have done well. I, I wonder how it's done in Marcus. I, I know the answer. I'm glad you bring it okay. up. I'm be- so glad you bring it up because be- I just looked into it. Because if I wasn't an HBS, would I have bought it? If I had seen it on the shelf, if I walked in the store and saw it, I'd be like, oh, cool, so, a new product. Not, no, I, I may have tried it. Let's be it. more vague. If you yeah. weren't on the Facebook bourbon forums, which yeah. we've all... Would have never known it was coming would out. Would never know it's coming out. No. And, and, and if people who weren't a fan of small batch, maybe wouldn't jump at the opportunity Instead, for a 6 Instead, every bottle. member went out and bought a bottle. Actually, <laughs> let me tell you about that. So uh, the specific five stores that are the most active in the group that know that if I post this to HBS, it'll, get, it'll move a lot... Uh, Ryan's Liquor mm-hmm. went through 22 or 23 cases mm-hmm. in the first couple of days. 23 cases. Uh, Rice Liquor mm-hmm. went through, I think she said, they've already gone through 14 cases, but they brought in 20. Mm-hmm. Uh, depending on where you are in the city, but they're posting it to the groups, groups, all the groups, and all the local groups who have these store owners in them are posting to these groups and are burning through product that historically, may, maybe that store never really carried that product. Mm-hmm. Bose never carried Copper and Kings. Bose never carried Barrel. You know, Rice brought in a couple, like, Batch 12 or well, something. Like the, you know? the, the question, like, uh, going back to, like, Copper and Kings, like, yeah, he's moving, a, a, you know, a lot of these, you know, things of Copper and Like, how much is he moving their unaged apple brandy? How much is he moving their absinthe? Because that's all part of the core line. Like, they still need to grow those and make money sure, off those. Sure, sure. See, my, again, and I say this again, my argument was never that one's better than the other. It's that one is not being looked at at all by some. Well, and, 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 it, and it should be. Why don't you, like I told you, like, we service, you know, different parts of the market because, you know, there's no denying that groups like HBS, like Hounds, have done really great things for groups like Blind Pig, NASA, you know, Bose. But that's not where the majority, like, we're in a city of 6 million people. Like, 6,000 bourbon enthusiasts is a really small so 40, cut of that wheel. So, like, you then you have think, to ask yourself, like, but it, but specs, I disagree. Enough specs, to clear the shelves at the store. Goody, goody. I disagree. Total wine. I disagree. Like, let me, let me, that's let your me, big money. Let me argue there. First of all, it is. There's no denying that the big box stores are, are also the reason why a lot of these distributors will crawfish. So, uh, suppliers, too, they don't want to scorn the big box stores. They don't want to piss them off. And yeah. so if something happens in these groups, they're the first to kind of crawfish and pull away. Uh, I get that. But also, some of these stores, the big box stores, have directly made an impact. And let's be honest, the overall impact, initially with any brand, is a store... The buyers, 
right? Buying the product, bringing it in, and actually moving it. Because you can, uh, the, I always forget the term, but it's uh, uh, not setting the pipeline, but uh, filling the pipeline. And what you do is you get it out there, uh, but also, once you get it out there, it actually starts to move. They bring in more, and they start growing. And the past couple, the 400% growth with with Barrow is not specifically only attributed to HBS, but they've got done a bunch with uh, Total Wine, then a bunch with Specs. But let's go back to the big box thing. Specs brought in MB Roland. Sorry, United brought in MB Roland because of us, because we asked them to, because it said it was going to be impactful. And within the first six months, they moved exactly 1,300 cases. And that has been so impactful that the owners of that brand come every year to Houston specifically because of the impact that, that, that the groups have had on their brand. Now, some people don't like MB Roland. We're not, talk, we're not having the discussion of objectively good or bad. What we're saying is Specs is very thankful for this. Now, some of the big box stores get pissed off with some of the stuff they see online, but that's what I think. That's where I think all this, this uh, ignoring the groups comes from is the spicy attitudes. You know, I've I've had to apologize for the group. I've had I've had other I know other people have had to apologize. You've had for to groups. apologize for me. I've had to apologize for you multiple uh, times. Multiple times. This In week. fact, yesterday, yeah, yeah, at the at the Four Roses launch, there was a, a writer. Uh, she 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 mentioned she knows you and she's like I just don't understand why he's so mean why is his approach so aggressive <laughs> not mean I'm direct I'm just gonna You're blame, blame the, the pins on Gene uh, as far as upsetting anybody I haven't so yeah the the pins Brown Foreman was not happy with the Jack and Coke mother effer pins at the social uh, understandably so uh, and I get it but I think I think what you're faced with a conundrum not a conundrum but these are the the, the problem the problem is this one you can't track Every every single purchase by a member of these groups, and every single purchase by these stores, you can't you can't track that. Well, and but you you can't track the the value of on-premise exposure either, right? Sure, like, like, why drinks? No, I'm talking exposure. I'm not talking just sales because there's certain parts that are, but you know, but t- they're only going off sales. Well, I'm I'm aware, but like just like you, we can't track like. How many people went in and bought a Copper and King's Phoenix Barrel and then turned around and bought the unaged apple brandy? That's that's untrackable why they sure. they reached that. Same thing here. Like somebody comes in to a restaurant that sees three or four hundred unique people every day, and they see something interesting on a, on uh, you know say they see a whiskey they haven't had just on a menu, even if they don't have the drink. They've seen it on the menu at a reputable establishment. So when they're out, and I'm talking not you know the, sure. the group members, just general public. It's an exposure. Yeah, it's, like it's j- just like watching an ad. Yeah, and like over the course of months and years, like that's thousands upon thousands upon tens of thousands of people that see the name. And so when they're out, just as general public, not as an enthusiast, and they're looking for something to buy, they're going to go with what they see on shelves at the places that they view as respectable. And, and, and so, that's that's the influence of, of media, all media, and sure. social media. And, and it's interesting to have you here as a bartender because you have influence, right? When someone comes into your bar, tell you, that. You, you make a recommendation. <laughs> but, you know, when, if I go into a bar and I like the bartender and they say, here, try this. Oh, absolutely. Or, or you should try this cocktail and this is the brand that I'm using. And it, it matters. And HBS is like a big bartender. You know, there are a bunch of people who you know, some of which are actual experts, some of which think that they are. But there are a lot of people who who are way more uh, the entire wealth of knowledge of all spirits at every level yeah. is in the group. Absolutely. And and and, and I and, and even if the person doesn't and, have that much influence or knowledge, if they if they 
they're, they're creating an ad when they post something, whether it's positive or negative, and it influences people, like it or not. Bourbon secondary market is 55,000 people. WBSE is like 23,000 people. Bourboner, again, 30,000 people. These groups are, are often a wealth of misinformation, but the people who know the correct information, I mean, Wade's made a name for himself, being the person, do they get picked up? Wade has made a name of himself uh, of being a, a person for accurate information and correcting these things. Uh, there was a guy yesterday who argued, and I still am having trouble not having a complete stroke about it, that John Wick is directly responsible for Blanton's being rare because it was in John Wick. And, and I said, and then he said, That's and I, after I corrected him, <laughs> he goes, well, um, actually, if you remember four years ago, uh, in 2014 or 2015, Anthony Bourdain said he loved Pappy, and now look at it. He was uh, directly, specifically attributing the rareness and the fervor over Pappy to Anthony Bourdain and Blanton's <laughs> going to the movie John Wick. And I was like, what is even It's It's part of right the now? saturation on those brands, but it's not the key. It's not the tipping no, point. No, because everything from <laughs> Buffalo Trace is allocated right now. Sure. Everything that they produce nationwide is on allocation, meaning there's only so much to go around. And each store, that's why when you go to Total Wine, Total Wine works on their, you know, they put all their allocated stuff on the front desk, one per person. They go by what they're allowed to get. If they're restricted to what they can get, it goes up there, even if it's not really wanted. Uh, but but going back to Total Wine, Total Wine has, I've had meetings with them, with their national sales guy, the guy that is in charge of everything nationwide, uh, Kevin Tilsley. He, uh, not, I said, he's not in charge of everything nationwide, but when we want to do barrels through Total Wine or when Total Wine wants to know if they should bring something in, based off what HBS did in terms of the 1792 barrels last year or the year before, uh, Total Wine themselves did five. That that's another great example. I think the 1792. That that's just a brand that I really wasn't aware of at at one point. And now every store has a pick, has two two picks a year, three picks a year, and they seem to sell pretty well. And it, it's now been established as a pretty good value uh, well, like for the, the money. The other thing to, to consider with something like 1792 is, in the grand scheme of things, it's such a minor part of the grand. Scheme of that portfolio? Not, not anymore. I mean, it, I mean, it still. They is. just bought like Popov, which is like the well vodka in half the U.S. Like, sure, I understand that. Like, we, like we see impressive. We of, see impressive numbers on a thirty-dollar bottle of bourbon. But you can't compare it to. You can't compare it to. We're not. We're talking whiskey versus. Of course, now, in, no. We can talk about well whiskey versus high-end whiskey, but you can't compare a vodka movement. Yeah. Like I said, ninety cases of Tito's in a week for one liquor store in College Station, and he does it every week consistently, nonstop. And what Rice does in terms of, I, we're not talking about that. We're we're talking specifically about brand-focused. Uh, apples to apples. There are some brands that are whiskey brands. Oh, absolutely. That that, uh, that will only focus on on-premise accounts, bars and restaurants, and get annoyed with the. I, I say I'm not going to say drunken misinformation, but get annoyed with uh, the uh, the jerks in the group or the Wades of the group or the Chris Morrises of the group, and so they write off the whole group and stick to what they know, and that drives me nuts because it's a missed opportunity. Your job. My job as a brand ambassador, uh, and, and anyone's job in sales, is to sell product. Absolutely. Your job is to sell product, 
build a brand, and it goes above and beyond selling. Because again, Pappy could just give all their, uh, <laughs> you know, um, uh, old Weller antique barrels to the groups and sell yeah. them. But that's not their, their focus. I, I really thing. like what what Smooth Ambler has done. I just saw a post the other day um, where they uh, someone was posting about Big Level. You know, what do you think of this? And sure. it became a complete complaining fest. You know, everybody was putting it down. And then one of the reps or one of the owners hopped in and said, this is really hard to read. Sure. But this is important. And, you know, you are our audience and we are going to do better. That was and one of their advertisements. I remember we, we uh, I think we talked about it because I talked to John Little about it. Uh-huh. It was really hard to take the the critic the feedback because the feedback it's like reading Yelp reviews it's brutal sometimes. and it's hard for any rep they're, they're going to defend their brand but what they have to understand is if you're well, they're like going to ban everybody on their Facebook page it's like if you're doing a market study and it's negative you can't kick everybody out or sure you can't be mad at them you know right? no no it's you like can't like what you did to nine banded i i've i met amanda uh the rep with nine banded at a bar at, uh, me too uh, what was the bar that Frank Krockenberger's wife was at before it closed? Canard. Canard. I met her at Canard, and she was she's extremely sweet, extremely nice. And I invited her to the social. We had a great time. And then I invited her to HBS. And she got ripped apart by you and a few others. And it's really rough feedback. But but going back to what I'm saying, your your goal is to build a brand and to sell product. If you put something out and it's good, people are going to talk about it. If you put something out... That's bad. They're going to talk about they're it. They're going to talk they're they're your example. You just, ruined, you just ruined my punchline. But, but, you <laughs> know, I've been I, practicing I that in the mirror about, for a week, you jerk. <laughs> it's all about the brand's response, though. Because it, like I said with Smooth Ambler, if they come out and say, we hear you... And we would like to do better. Everyone will be on board with that brand. Yes, then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It makes but, you feel good about it. And a lot it of people are. Another shot. They've taken a lot of criticism and they've and they've rebounded. But here's the thing: Go, finishing my punchline. If you put something out that's good, people are going to talk about. It. Put something out that's bad, people are going to talk about it. But the people that are talking negatively about it are not your audience. You can still have a wildly successful brand that the snobs aren't going to enjoy. For sure. If that's not your audience, okay, fine. That's not your audience. Yeah, uh, I've I've had great conversation. Well, I don't want to mention specific brands, but uh, well, if the snobs don't enjoy it, it's not going to see a whole lot of impact from HBS either, because that is the snobs and the educated drinkers. But but, but, but we also but, talk about daily drinkers and what's correct. the best twenty dollar yeah. bottle and so on. We have on. a ton of fresh drinkers in the group, and and a ton of people who are going to try stuff, and if they don't like it, they don't like it. But that you know, if you've got a brand, I I caught some flack once because I gave some feedback on a limited edition item from a big brand. And all I said was is that I was a little bit disappointed with this specific bottling. But at the same time, we had done several uh, big projects with them. We had moved a lot of, of the other SKUs of their line, and it was a massive success. But I didn't like one thing, and it really hurt their feelings. And I thought, okay, look, I get it. This whole concept of being in social media and having this direct feedback from your consumer, especially as a sales rep, can be a bit rough to listen to at times. I get that. The meeting I had at RNDC, I specifically wanted to sit down with these guys and clear the air about any of their frustrations with HBS. I was expecting a laundry list of times that they were frustrated. They gave me one example, mm-hmm. and it was simply Devil's River. But but here's my question. If you're sitting in, in, a, in a room like this with the brand reps and you taste through their stuff and you say, I think this is complete trash, they're not going to be that upset. But you have influence, and, and you, you are an influencer. So I mean, is that where the where the uh, where they get upset, and where, is that where the anger comes I, from? Because no, they know that you have influence. I, I, I that makes sense. I get it. I don't like to. I, there's enough people who think that I'm 
all about me. I, I don't like to. Ign- and it's not even that. Like I'm an influencer, but, but but you know, everyone has a different palate. And I often say, like, when someone comes out and says, "I didn't like this," and I say, "Don't listen to that person. Go try it yourself." You know, it's 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 good feedback, but you know, go try it yourself and make your own decisions. Well, going back to, I don't think it's just the fact that they may think that I'm an influencer because they've been mad at other people in the group. You know, uh, the gin bashing at times. There's some gin bashing from a few members. It's almost like a running joke for some members. There's still a lot of gin drinkers in the group. I am a gin convert. I, I love gin. never realized how much and how fantastic and how complicated gin could be. How incredibly diverse. And, well, see, mm-hmm. I, I don't like vodka-based gin necessarily because I think you distill. I like. I think that you can distill. I, I don't Sorry. know what you. I don't know what you mean when you say vodka-based gin. So what I mean is like uh, people when they distill their base up to 190 proof, getting rid of a lot of the before they do the the, the gin basket. So, for instance, uh, Starka from Iron Root uh, was originally a vodka base, and they aged it in a barrel, and it ended up being fantastic as a, uh, on its own. So it it technically was like a barrel-aged vodka, which is really just a, a barrel-aged whiskey, but. All the flavors proofed, distilled out of the base spirit. Hmm. So there are some gins who don't distill to 190 proof. They distill to a lower Very, proof. very few. Right. But there are a lot who do. There are some who do. I can think of a few off the top of my head that, that I want to be able to taste all the botanicals in the world. And sometimes when I can taste well, the, that vodka... The, just, the botanicals aren't... Like, they're, like the idea of distilling up to... 192 generally like you're generally buying tubs of 192 is giving you the cleanest base so that those botanicals shine through the botanicals aren't distilled out like they're they're macerated in that some some do maceration some just do the gin basket some don't do maceration well yeah i mean vapor distillation is a very very small subcategory avanac uh, fine but avanac does uh all organic. Oh yeah, they're 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 insane. All like, organic. I, I love them. And they do maceration versus a gin basket. So the 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 actual botanicals are thrown in the distillation and they're distilled with the the vegetal matter as opposed to placing a basket and having the distillation fumes go through the basket, picking yeah, up that, botanical stuff. I mean, macerated gin is the overwhelming ma- majority. Uh, and like, for and there's nothing wrong with. It. I, I actually prefer macer. All I'm saying is I prefer a full flavor that doesn't come through as straight alcohol. And there are some... Uh, vodka's got this distinctive taste that I find completely off-putting. Unless well, I, it's a, a vodka that's distilled I below. I think gin is just divisive in general. You, you like it or you hate it. I mean, the people who... It, it's different than a lot of the other spirits out there. I mean, I, the flavors can be very strong, and as you said, it's very diverse. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we're... I mean, we're obviously a little bit off topic, but I mean, I'll sit here and talk we're to you for, we're, we're down a rabbit hole. <laughs> for, for, for as long as we want, but like, you, you think about gin and the diversity and like what most people think gin is, which is Tanqueray. Tanqueray is as classic as it comes, macerated, four botanicals, minimalist, juniper forward, everything a London dry gin should be. And everybody just thinks it tastes like a Christmas tree because it tastes like juniper. And there are a lot that do. And that's, you know, very, very classic. That's, but that's, but I'm okay with that. But it's only been about 20 years that we've really seen the diversity because you saw the birth of the new Western style in 1999, which is when you started seeing Hendrix, which does neither, does a combination of both. They do a macerated distill and then they, they compound it at the end. And then you had Tanqueray. Orbeam's great. And you had Tanqueray Malacca launch around the same time. And then you've just seen this wealth of explosion of like these gins that focus on things that are other than the juniper. You've got Damrak out of... Um, Copper and Kings is sending me some cool gin samples. Yeah, and like and Copper and Kings hits, you know, 
a whole different thing because yeah. they they do barrel resting, but you you know you've got Heyman's doing the slightly sweetened old Tom. You've got Damrak, which you know is orangey. You've got compound gins coming from Uncle Val's in California that are like super crazy herbal and like you'd have to reach to find the juniper in it. And it is one of the most diverse categories like on the planet. But sure. I'm, I'm sure as a bartender, and I always tell people this at home when they say I hate gin, I say let me make you a cocktail. Oh, absolutely. It, it, the right cocktail will turn people on gin. It, anyone that ever tells me they don't like gin, I say you haven't had the right gin yet. Right. And they always look at me and go, give me the right gin then. Mm-hmm. So that's how I went to Pasha's one day, and he that's the conversation we had. But we're going off a rabbit trail here. My yeah. point is is that you get a couple of people bashing in the group of a certain category, and I think... Yeah, it's, it's mob mentality. It's, it's group thing. People like to, to pile on to what they see, you know more knowledgeable people saying and they mm-hmm. they accept it as as the gospel right i think like the, like if wade says this isn't bourbon it's not bourbon damn it that's correct i think if uh even when he's wrong he's not wrong i think negatively <laughs> wrong. When, when people are negative about stuff in these groups i think brands as a general it could be hard to watch especially if you're sales rep i think it i think you just would ha- you need to not take it so seriously because it's it, it'll go away people will forget that this conversation ever happened yeah uh, a week from now. Oh yeah, it's hard to take criticism. They they take it personally. But when the positive happens, You're right, the the when the positive happens, it turns into direct impact. Mm-hmm. So I, I think, and this will bring us back full circle. I think a lot of the influence of the groups does kind of deal part of the success. Like you know, we've talked about, and I told you, like, great, you can sell ninety cases, you know, every three months of this, and you're like, no, every month. And kind of my my counterpoint to that was. You know the, which is why I listed. Sorry, let me just interrupt oh, there. Yeah. I, I, my whole argument in that thread was specifically to not say that it's only about HPS. But when it comes to numbers, I can that, only, that's the only ones that you have. That's the only ones to. that I have. And, and so, and that, and the that's, last, what I, that's what I told people. I, I didn't view it. I'm like, I under like. I, I know, Chris, we've been doing this for several years now. Like, I know that you're passionate about the success of, of, of all groups, and luckily HBS has been to be an innovator and be a leader in, in that space, and that's what you have numbers for. We, we've, got our, we've got our problems. It's, ne- it's never oh, a perfect course. thing. And, but, but the example I gave you was seven, over 700 cases, because uh, I went to our admin chat, and we were trying mm-hmm. to think of all the things that we've done in the past four months. And in four months, uh, 700 cases directly by the group itself, not to mention our daily purchases, because those threads happen all the time. Yeah. What do you guys think of this? Daily drinkers, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and ha- how many barrels in six months? 18 barrels. Yeah. 18 barrels in, in four months since December, right? And, that, and, that were... and unusual stuff in there. It's not like it was uh, Elijah Craig, so, you know. That was kind of my counterpoint to it. The it one-offs. Is, I mean, not only one-offs, but also... You know, if there's one thing we have as enthusiasts, we live in this fast-paced information age, is we have FOMO, right? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, yeah. You know, Chris came out with Space Brandy and didn't share it with, with Chris and Todd, and we missed out, and <laughs> we never know when we're going to see it again. Space Brandy. It's coming again. But, but kind of my, my point is, like, if you release 18 barrels of nothing but, a, but 18 different barrels of Knob Creek single barrel over four months, by month three and month four... It's going to feign. It, yeah, it's going right, to feign. So you, you it, there's not going to be that excitement. My, my argument is simply that the group... So, so, you, so you do really great things by diversifying and finding new and interesting things. Trying to. and Well, trying to while all the other stores are doing their own thing. And like like we talked about one brand that we've seen a lot of from everywhere, and it's still sold. My my, I mean, I want to know where is where is that oversaturation point? We so haven't hit it. You oh, have for to, sure. No, no. Well, in some, it's there. In but, some aspects, you know. we have hit it in certain regards, but that's why you space things out, right? You do a couple. If if if. Uh, 
was it in December or January that that six or seven Maker's Mark picks all hit the mark at mm-hmm. the same time? Yeah, That's two hundred and forty bottles, two hundred and forty-ish bottles, times six. Yeah, bar- and, I think it's seven. And, barrels. and I've seen some of them still on the shelves. Yeah, 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 but but they're already bought and accounted for, and those will trickle out the rest of the year, mm-hmm. and we won't do more into and for a few sure. more months. We space them out. But what my argument was simply that whereas a bar might do a case and a half a week. Or a case and a half a month, or even let's 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 say five cases a month over a twelve month period, we will burn through all that in one go and come back to it again at the end of the year. So once every so, six months. So, okay, so I I think a, a great kind of correlation to this is we talked earlier, like view HBS as as one big bar, right? Um, I don't think that's necessarily like you can view that as kind of a segment, like view a each type of bar, right? Yeah, or, or a whiskey bar versus a cocktail bar. But I mean, you go back a couple years and look at the global impact of like what happened when Bobby Hugel poured out all of his Florida Cognac. Actually, I had a discussion with someone about that yeah. that, that caught a lot of media attention, but their sales were up that year. Florida Cognac sold more than they had sold before, and it, and you can actually it's not hard to look this up. I I have a talk with William Grant sure. about it, but uh, Bobby Hugel, who is undeniably impactful, but see here's my here's my so even when point. he pours it out, they sell more <laughs> overall. But the overall but maybe the not in Houston, that, maybe not in Houston. But the thing with that right is he does that. And yes, that one bar, Anvil is one bar, their influence can't compare to 6,000 people. But people see what the bars see what they do, and then three more bars do it, and then their friends Correct. see that they do it. And so, yes, yeah, one well, big group, so, and, so, group, and so, HBS so, has spawned so, two, four groups in Beaumont, two groups in San Antonio, two groups in right, Austin. But, but, All started with HBS. But one bar, like absolutely, one bar selling you know, a case and a half a month. Is not going to compare to the numbers that HBS does. When one bar turns into two, which then turns into 200 bars that all have the the same spirit. Yeah, but do you think the social media is slowing down at all? Like I said, the the so at, at a, four years ago when HBS hit 700 people, we were like the largest in the city. Well, okay, cool. And it took a year and a half to make that happen. Yeah. And the moment the Beaumont group got started, there's they hit a thousand, no problem. Bad wine reviews with Daryl Bowman, he's got a thousand people in his group. And if you don't think he's preaching the good word no, there, of, there, of, and of budget wines, pollination. yeah, there's, yes, there's going to be cross pollination, yeah. but the, the, it's branching out. Yeah, and, like, and, and again, they happen they happen in both spaces. HPS spawns more groups. You know, Anvil does something. Johnny does something. Like look at what Johnny's has done for Old Granddad. Look like, what Anvil's done for Break Even. Well, I, I think yeah. these, on a national uh, level, yeah. I, I think these groups are are following the same path that the overall bourbon boom has which is and how is I think the bourbon they're following the path that bars have had we're doing no different the same concepts uh yeah, massive and, and, but and we're doing it in different spaces right like talking about 1792 if someone brings that to me like absolutely they should be doing things with groups because that makes more sense for them you know their bottle is shaped awkward it looks pretty on a back bar i'm not going to move volume or something like sure. that so they should be doing things with groups. I, I think we influence very different brands in, in very different ways. Part of my argument was talking about things that aren't aged in oak, which is a huge segment of spirits that these groups aren't The servicing. vast majority of spirits. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, you look at the, the brands that have, you know, people see things like Jim Beam and Jack Daniels and, and Four Roses and they want to be the next that, right? Like nobody gets in this to, to lose money, even though that's what a lot of people do. Um, 
And so they see things like that, and so they know that those were, were built on on-premise. Now, if Travis Whitmire came to me and was like, I really want to get into, into to on-premise and, and be successful, I'd tell him, you're silly. I'm not putting you know an $85 single barrel in a well. Like I'll have it on the back bar so people can try, and hopefully they go out and buy it. But brands like that, absolutely, you know, Whitmire's, Iron Root, like they're going to see a lot more growth doing things with, with groups and reaching out to the to the retail. Which customer. is my point. Which yeah. is my point. My, and again, and, and my point all along was it's not that the groups don't do anything. It's that we service very different things. And even the brands, we service different parts of the my, brand. My whole point of this entire argument was how the industry, specifically distributors and suppliers, some of them will only focus on what you do. Right. It was never a comparison to uh, we're better than a bar. We're, bars do this. We can do this better. It was never that comparison. But there are situations in which uh, these groups won't get something, like a, whether it be a barrel or won't do this or they won't, you know, uh, we can't. I'll just give a, a barrel, for example, so we're not rambling here. But we won't get a barrel, but they'll give an on-premise a barrel. Now, that that on-premise bar and there's a lot of them a lot of them a lot of very big names i can think of a few that mm -hmm. i'll tell you off air locally who were given something that we were denied for oh I, like I, i'm perfectly aware like you, you and know, you, you remember I, I did work as an ambassador and part of our you know sales meeting with, within the group every month was here's all the groups that still have outstanding tequila barrels that they need to buy because they don't want to pay taxes at the or end of the year. outstanding jack daniel but, but products where, sitting at warehouse but where exactly. i was going with my comment though is that the way that we've spread with the boom is is it's like a grassroots type of movement like it's word of mouth and 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 our word of mouth is through social media and when i meet people in my profession and in my life and my friends and they come over my house and they want to try you know oh my god look at all that whiskey and i and i walk them through and i introduce them a little bit to like the world of bourbon and they people get drawn into it and that's what's happened in the boom is that people ever like whiskey's cool whiskey is a cool thing it always has been um people haven't been much more knowledgeable outside of jack daniels and bullet and so of course on. and that's where everybody starts and the first fancy bottles woodford reserve sure and nothing wrong and that's with where that, they see a bar nothing wrong most. with that stuff but yeah. there's obviously a whole world beyond that and that's where the influence is for hbs and groups like that and that's why they should have the attention of the brands because it's the best possible advertisement you can have when it comes to whatever it is for a certain audience whatever well, you're selling and, and, for a certain audience part of it movie? also comes to like does that distributor does that supplier have the resources to to, to work with brands like that because there's some of them that don't like sure they've only got so much manpower so much money you know you take a look at like some distributors like national distributors like 60 cases to some of these people is you know when you can they, they give two craps about yeah. yeah when like you think about what what they do globally and I, I don't think you were trying to infringe and be like we can sell more Jack Daniels than the bars can I don't think no, you, were, no. you were trying yeah, yeah. to say that and like, I love and I love Brad Foreman I'll say, I'll say this and then we gotta wrap this up and then what we'll do is we're gonna do one more segment audio only on iTunes uh, to finish this conversation but we've gotta wrap this up for, for radio I'll say uh, it's you. You keep mentioning globally. We're not talking about globally. We're talking about compared to on premise. Well, you're I not. Think it's, I think it's a similar endeavor that deserves equal respect. And you're not talking about it. The brands are sure, but but they're not talking about when it comes to. Uh, the brands that aren't paying attention, and that's why they're getting away from barrel picks for private groups, right? Rather, because they would they would rather have more of an impact on premise, sure, right? That, which is what I'm saying. Yeah. Not not all of them are, but what I'm saying is is that whenever they're talking about 
with some brands, not all brands, but when some brands are talking about the impact the bar and restaurant has, they're not doing it in comparison to global numbers. But when you talk about what a, social media groups do, they want to compare it to globally. It's not. It's minuscule. It's not the same comparison. Treat if you look at us compared to the way that you would look at a bar or restaurant, we can do the high end quantities. Oh, absolutely. That a, an account can do, even a decent account. And I'm not saying this theoretically. I'm saying this based off. I can. I can. Anyone who has a question, I've had conversations with the suppliers who do believe in the groups. I've given them. They've well, given me numbers. I've given it, them your numbers. maker's mark example. Like Sorry, how much I, makers does a bar sell compared to a shit ton. the group? Yeah, yeah, no, a lot, a lot yeah, more. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. that's a different conversation. Oh yeah, okay. that's a different conversation. Well, um, well, like it's not. What does one bar do? It's what do you do when you're in 50 bars, 100 bars, 200 bars? Sure. sure. Yeah. Be, because like, and but, no, it, but but I mean a single like. So a, a single so going location. a little bit behind behind the curtain, right? Like. An ambassador has a list of seventy-five bars that they're responsible for, and they want every single bar in that to have in that to have a cocktail with Maker's Mark in it. So my bar putting Maker's Mark, we're going to sell a decent amount because it's going to be a bourbon cocktail. It's going to be delicious. People are going to like it. They recognize Maker's Mark. This is fantastic. Fifty bars with Maker's Mark in the well. Crushes yeah. it. Yeah, crushes it. All right, let, let's wrap this up. We'll, if you guys want to hear the rest of this, it, we'll do one more segment on iTunes only, uh, or iTunes or any podcast platform, uh, and we're going to finish this conversation. There's just a little bit more I want to talk about, uh, and we'll go from that. So I appreciate you coming on. I, I hope I, I knew that if we sat down across from each other, it'd be a little bit more civilized. Well, not civilized, but we, we understand each other a little better. I think oh, a lot. I think when you're reading stuff, especially late at night, this was like at ten o'clock of the night. There's a lot more negativeness, a lot more arrogance that's read into it. Um, it this isn't about me. It's not about HBS. It, I my frustration has to do with a handful of specific salespeople at the R and C level, the, their managers, and some big brands who maybe have pulled away in some regard from all social media than doing it the way they've always done it for whatever reason. That I disagree with because I look. You got to stop taking these groups so seriously. There is a place for a certain type of impact of what you're looking for from these groups and that's all I was trying to say we should be we should stop uh, pretending or, or, or not, let me say it a different way more effort should be taken to um, to be patient and not take some of the feedback from some certain people yeah, so course. seriously. It's not it's not as heavy as you think. They're not really damaging and your brand. To be fair, with Nine Banded, when I told her this meeting was basically over and I'm never buying your, your product. Sure. And that was all we, before we, HBS. We, 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 uh, it was about around the same time. But I also told her other bars that were in our company, like, this might be a better fit with these people and you should go talk to them. Sure. For me, like, you came in with no information and I'm not interested. <laughs> so, I, like, I do give some kind of out for people. Your, whether you're in the groups or not, this impact is happening. I'm sorry, Jack is giving me the finger. Uh, <laughs> whether the whether you're in the group or not, the impact is happening, and sales could be made. Uh, and this this is where I get a little bit more judgmental here. If your job is to build a brand and your job is to sell products, <clears throat> all the above, and you don't want to go down a road like social media. Because people are mean. I know how mean bar owners can be. Oh, yeah. I know how needy bar owners can be. I've heard horror stories about Houston's biggest bars. And some who think they're big and really aren't that big anymore. Uh, you got to develop thicker skin. These are your consumer base. There's no other place in the world for all four tiers to come together and to get that direct market feedback anywhere. And you're advertising to a group, by the way, 
has seen we saw 95 new people this week we rejected 30 people and we blocked another 10 or How something many of them like that had a type of cheese as their last name <laughs> yeah not many my my point is is that even if there's a handful of people from you know let's say someone quit the group when we were 1500 people well we're 6000 now right and new groups are popping up all over the place new groups who all want to do their own barrels so even if it's a one off imagine Knob Creek did over 1,100 or 1,200 barrels last year of Knob Creek bourbon. And they had to cut it off this year because it's the demand is incredible. Even if small numbers, small numbers, what's 1,100 barrels times, you know, 25, 30 cases? Less than was sold in bars across the nation of Knob Creek Again, regular Again, we're talking about mm-hmm. bars across the nation. We're talking about... We're, we're talking about... Yes, I, I'm talking about bars across the nation because that's what Jim Beam is talking like. I'm talking just the nation. Jim Beam is, you know, Beam Suntory. They're owned out of Japan. Like, sure. They've got a global market that they have to consider. Right. So, but, like, but yes, look at you, the like, revenue you generate, even if it's not compared to whatever. Yeah. My point is, is that there's lots of stuff that would not have a place now currently if it wasn't for social media. Boone, oh, for Boone, sure. Boone County came to the state because uh, Nathan Struberg had a good relationship with, with favorite brands, and he asked them to bring it in. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, we brought in... And a brand like that absolutely well, I, should I, be utilizing social media. I mentioned 1792, and maybe you know better as, as a bartender, is, I mean, how much volume of that w- went in the past before all these barrel picks, and, and really it was brought to light. Now everybody knows it. Yeah, At least the people in HBS And now they're do. starting to be everybody. stingy with it, yeah. I, I had a discussion with uh, Daniel Donovan and, and Tyler Frazier. Uh, I beg Tyler Frazier, who's the for those who don't know, Tyler Frazier is the one who heads up all the Stasvac brands besides 1702 in the state of Texas. I asked him a couple years ago. We had a phone call conversation. He goes, "Yeah, we know who you are." Uh, uh, not me, but HBS. He, yeah. I was asking HBS for an OWA barrel. He goes, uh, "You guys have caused a little bit of a headache for us." I said, "Well, what do you mean?" He goes, "Well, not not that the group did anything bad, but because the group was." promoting all of these OWA picks or these 1792 picks Mm -hmm. that he saw a surge of liquor store owners who never (coughs) carried much of Sazerac brands now wants now wants their own and I get that that's also a headache you have a lot of stores who don't carry the main portfolio but just want the barrels just want the special stuff that's a headache well and and you you got you brought it up earlier and and this is something that I've seen personally as you said you're introducing me to these these bar owners who who are like you know we've done picks but now we want to do labels and you we all know that the label matters and when you start getting into that then you know like you said they're just buying the 1792 foolproof or bottle and bond picks or whatever um but it you know just like social media has an effect putting a label on it is is pushing volume and that's something that like not everyone has done in the past that's another area that's that's been growing i think it's only because social media the the label the label picks have all been social media but look at look at what brown foreman did brown foreman listen if anyone i I if i had an award ceremony and i was going to give an award to a company who's made the largest impact and the greatest decisions the past three years it's brown foreman between 1910 1920 um, and what they just recently made available in Texas, the early times, 100 proof, one liter for 20 bucks. That is god dang. This is iTunes, I can cuss. This is fucking genius, okay? Yeah. It's absolutely. I wasn't supposed to come to Texas, by the way. What do you mean? Well, I, I remember a meeting. Early times? Yeah, I remember a meeting very specifically where we were told. They were told by National it's not coming to Texas. Well, or maybe it was only Dallas, like sure. whatever it was. Well, it came to Texas. It's made a massive impact. And again, those same stores I mentioned with the Four Roses, killing it right now. Mm-hmm. Twenty-two dollar liters of hundred proof Baldwin Bond, 
I mean, but again, it's a you know, genius product. It's, it's, it's a to, perfect it's, well, product. They, they have to go to social media now because they have to supplant Wild Turkey 101. And there's no reason and, that bottle shouldn't be the number one selling bourbon in the world. Yeah, there is. Old Granddad bonded exists. Sure. So like that's why they that's why they probably focused on off premise and social media is because you have to fight with by the way. you have to fight with okay well seven fifty for twenty bucks hundred proof for twenty okay old granddad bo- old granddad bonded is like a twenty five dollar bottle for a liter so you can't compete with that and that's what bars are pouring like, sure bars got but you can now with early times they're going to compete with that bonded for twenty two bucks for one liter and by the way twenty two bucks is consumer for a bar it's going to be like twenty bucks uh, you said it was seven fifty not a liter no no I've been saying liters this whole time no you, you literally said it's a seven fifty no no uh, old granddad's old granddad is a, is a no it's a liter okay bonded is maybe maybe, maybe you don't see the liter in retail much but sure. they, they go to bars okay we, we well, pour it by the liter all I'm saying is Brown Foreman's decision to bring early times as a widely available product was genius it's perfect I love it. I couldn't be, and they're, but they're making well, great decision after great decision. You, you the say it's genius, program? but we we've been saying for so long that all these brands need to come up to the uh, bottle and bond and barrel proof or 107, 110. They all need to do it. They, yeah, and we, and we I can't get, believe we, it's, we it's, need to get away from from. It's taken this proofers. long to go from ninety, yeah. you know, to especially in the, in our group. I mean, the people that that in HBS. There are a lot of still a lot of eighty ninety proof drinkers, but oh, yeah. most of us want great proof versions of everything. I mean, I will I, w- I will also say like I very much prefer my well bourbons to be at ninety proof because I have to worry about responsible alcohol service. Sure, sure. So like as much as I would love to make every old fashioned I ever make with Booker's, sure. Like outside of cost, <laughs> oh, like <my> God. <laughs> like like I can't serve people well proof spirits like that. What's wrong with Bullet Rye for the old fashioned? No, that's a great one. It's yeah. another one that's everywhere. Look, long story short, I know I know we're kind of running long. We're, I I want you. I got a couple messages after our exchange the other night. I'm sure you got a few yourself. Anyone that has that you think could benefit from understanding a different perspective, and hopefully I come across as saying this is not Chris about his Facebook group. It, I, what I'm saying is, is I've worked in sales and marketing my entire life. Even in aviation, I have to focus on sale. It's a it, there's a, a sales side of this. I'm I know. I know what sells. I know what works. And I think that I've worked in jewelry. I've, I've, I've sold my whole life. I convinced my wife to marry me. If that's not proof, I can sell stuff. <laughs> I don't know what is. Um, all I'm saying is is that I'm trying to tell an industry that I've tried to show nothing but love to. I've worked with a lot of brands for the social. I've, I've been very nice to everybody. The only time there's ever been a problem is me apologizing for this group. That's not me. It's the you know it's it's some attitudes in the group at times. For those that have have worked with me, I adore you guys. I'm simply trying to say that I notice at times an industry that's pulling away because of emotions as opposed to results. And I think that you should be result-minded. You're a, a brand ambassador. You're a brand builder. You're a, a rep for... A, uh, listen, there, there are reps who've... Nicholas Talamantes worked for RNDC. He saw the benefit. There are some who won't see it. There are some who will see it. I can give you numbers. I can. All I'm saying is, is that all social media is making an impact that suppliers are seeing and acknowledging some distributor reps and some sales reps and some bartenders aren't willing to acknowledge. Oh, for, for sure. And like, I mean, I think 1792 is a fantastic example. That's a brand that 1792 as a as a brand within a greater portfolio should be focusing on on premise and and social media. 
but they still have to grow Buffalo Trace, so they still. have all the resources to, to do those things. So if they want to grow those you know, specialty releases, they should be leveraging the power of social media. If you're, if you're needing to grow Buffalo Trace, like, then you need that in, in 70 wells, and you need educated bartenders Absolutely. pushing that to the consumer. And if you've got a product that doesn't fit what we're talking about, then that's not what we're talking about. Yeah. We're talking about the products that do fit. There are a lot of stuff, a lot of brands that will fit the social media platform, and I'm sitting here to make the same joke I made the other night, pulling out what's left of my hair, trying to get people to see, you know, uh, you know, Adrian uh, Hastings. Yeah, uh, I, I like her, um, but I, I see her scoff at the group a lot, and I think, you know, like, let me let let's meet, let's talk, let's let's. I, I feel like I can convince you otherwise. There's a side of this that I think a lot of people. Um, just aren't seeing yet and it's not about look what I've done look what this group has done it's about look at the impact that's happening statewide Tech, you know the brands the suppliers who do, that do see it Texas distilleries Texas distilleries see it yeah because their whiskey is too expensive for me to pour in a cocktail right again we're not talking about that <laughs> Talk about everything else. Uh, I'm talking about you know bars getting barrels of stuff uh, because they think that that's the best place for it. When often what happens is those bars end up dumping those barrels on public groups. I mean, the, for sure, and that's, it's that's an extra middleman that doesn't need to be there. That, that's people that buy more than they can sell. Whiskey cakes a fantastic example. Like they do a ton of barrel picks. They don't move through their volume. You know they overbuy for what they have, and like. Obviously, like they're you know they should be engaging social media to you know to to move some of and those things. And that's the main reason they're not. I'm not aware of their stuff most sure. of the time. I see it on the shelf and I see it. And that's I love whiskey I just cake. Think, well, I haven't heard anything about it. Yeah, it's a great bar. We're on it's air. Awesome. I have to play nice. Yep. All right, we gotta go. Uh, that's it. That's the last segment. We love you guys. I hope that I hope it comes across as less braggadocious as it seemed to <laughs> yeah, come there, across there, here there, There's room. There's room for everybody. And I I know you hate. Me saying, like, you know, think nationally, think globally, but it's the mindset of a lot of brands. And so on a, on a scale of, in a, in a referential impact in Houston, you see things. But Houston's not Columbus, Ohio, or Des Moines, and a lot of these brands are national. And, right, but, but, you know, they're, they're, but when they're, they're, talk about they're, honor- they're focused on big, big money. Jack, I'm going to wrap this up. I'm sorry. When, when those brands are in market and they're talking and they're focusing on specific in-market bars and restaurants, I think they should also be focused on in-market social media accounts. That's all I'm saying. Think apples to apples. What, what would happen to these brands if HBS disappeared tomorrow compared to if some bar, a random bar, disappeared tomorrow? What, what's the bigger impact? Well, again, not just HBS, but if social media shut down all together, yeah, sure, of I course. think everybody would be hurting quite a bit. Any group. So anyways, we got to go. Uh, thanks so much, Jack. I appreciate you being patient. I love you. Uh, all right. Cheers. Oh, that's okay. All right, let's do it. Let's do it. Ah, ting, ting.